This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast revisiting television, sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Earth 2, episodes 16 and 17. I think there are two varieties of spiders in this web, and they're polar opposites, and that's why their two bites cause such extreme reactions. Their opposing biologies create these webs with strong oppositional fields. Okay, opposites attract, but why would that shut down the current? I don't know, maybe... Maybe it's our fault. Maybe we brought a spider from the first tunnel with us when we came through the fold. What if we did? Well, if the positive and the negative, so to speak, meet each other, then this neutralizes the current. Well, then we have to get the foreign spider out of this web. Yeah. How do we find it? Welcome to Continuum Drag, the podcast you found hibernating in the woods in a little tiny nest. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? Hey, have you caught the news chips lately? <laughs> Remember the news chips? That's news in the future. Chip style. It's a way to get news. Yeah, it is. You get it in a chip. Salt and vinegar, sour cream and I was going to say, did you picture the chips like little drives or like like Lay's chips? Yeah, in the future, all chip, all news is edible. <laughs> Might as well be. I pictured a Lay's bag, but full of little silver chips. Mmm. <laughs> they put the technologies know. together. <laughs> Why not? Um, as you can hear, we've got a guest with us this week. It's the, our returning guest, Joe. Welcome back to the show, Joe. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm glad to start off 2021 with you guys. This is the first productive thing I've done all year. <laughs> <laughs> and the sad thing is this is going to air in a few weeks, so it's going to look like you took like a month off. Live in the dream, future self. <laughs> it's been a slow start to the year for Joe. <laughs> so uh, I believe last time you were here, you were recording a, a freaky links with us. Yes, I was. <laughs> That show was great, and uh, I'm I'm very much not disappointed in Earth Two either. No oh, good. Even just with the the credits font, I was like, oh, here we are. This is what 94, 95. Yes. <laughs> so. That little paintbrush too. Yeah. <laughs> so Joe, do you uh, do you remember Earth Two from when it aired? I mean, it's hard to tell because like I follow you guys on Instagram too, so I know I've seen the. The drooling little hunchback guys before. Gredlers. <laughs> looking at the, the wiki. Uh, I know I've seen them before. I don't think I ever watched it live when it was airing, though. Oh, no? this is So this is all brand new to you. You never had heard of the show until you had to watch it. Not, not even a distant bell ringing for this one. It's just all fresh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm even more surprised that you uh, enjoyed yourself then. Well, we'll see how much you enjoyed yourself, I guess, but... Oh, the 16 was a wild ride for me. <laughs> Lots of emotions. All right, then. Well, I guess without further ado, let's get into these episodes, shall we? Mm-hmm. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 16, Brave New Pacifica. After the group plans to scout ahead toward New Pacifica, a Grendler ransacks Julia's medical supplies and later kidnaps her. Devin, Danzinger, and Alonzo search to find where she is and why the Grendlers can obtain seawater. And that was courtesy of R.W. Zim DPA. <laughs> You've changed how you pronounce it. He changed how he spells it. He uh, started capitalizing the DPA at the end, but Zim was lowercase. So I guess, I guess maybe DPA is his affiliation. <laughs> Weird. Hey, can I mention one thing just off the bat? This is episode 16, and I think by our count, the 300th time that someone has gone off to look for something by themselves. And I think I can solve the problem for this group of humans. 
Uh, Joe, you don't maybe not know this, but they have a robot. They have a robot named Zero that can like get taken apart. Like he could take his head off and he could still function. I don't know why anytime they have to explore caves or deserts or big plains, just send the robot. Then you don't have to. You don't have to worry about anyone dying. Send the robot. He's he's literally just sitting around not doing anything at camp. Well, I was about to say he didn't. This robot was nowhere to be found in these two episodes. No, he's just chilling at camp. What the? What is the point of building a robot if you're not going to use it for everything? Agreed, right, Luke? Am I am that, I not right? I mean, you guys aren't wrong. That robot is just sitting there, and all it's doing is absorbing the insults of Danzinger. <laughs> That's right. They don't like him. I will say though too, and uh, not, we'll get to it a little later. I will note in this episode, four characters like wander off through a magical portal, and. To your point of, like, why do they keep getting lost, Jordan? When they go into the magical portal, someone says, hey, should someone, like, let Yale know where we're going? And another character says, eh, he'll figure it out. <laughs> I'm like, he'll figure out you wandered into a magical portal? I, I mean, you guys, this is why you have so many search parties on this show. <laughs> He's like, I'm sensing there's negative and positive spiders around. They might be lost. <laughs> All right. Well, this episode opens up on a, a little piece of lore of the show that I'd completely forgotten about till this episode. Grendler's love, the taste of human blood. Was that a thing before? Because I forgot that too. And I, and I, they kept they the scene that went on for I think it was was it thirty minutes of them just opening tubes and speaking in a language that we can't understand. So because that's what the viewer wants. But they're that's what I want. I'll tell you that <laughs> yeah, much. They're, they're trying to drink tubes, and then it's like it's human blood, and they did it like a reveal. And I thought, did we know that before? But apparently we do. Yes, remember uh, Tim Kerr used to feed the Grendlers his blood to get their loyalty? Oh. Did you forget about that? I forgot that it happened, and I was like, oh, right. That was a big tease of, like, they love human blood. It, like, gets them kind of high. Sure. You totally blocked out this show, haven't you? Yeah, it's been too, it's been too many episodes. <laughs> it was a good reveal, though. After, yeah, what seemed like 15 minutes of just and slurping down little sorry, tubes. Sorry, sorry Joe, what was it? What do they sound like? Uh, I I can go all day. (laughs) It was a great reveal because, yeah, they're trying to, they drink the final cylinder of liquid they have and they close this giant crate, which I guess was stolen from the Eden Project supplies at some point. And it's just labeled human blood. I was just like, what medical purpose is like 100 milliliter tubes of human blood useful for exactly? What they should have done is they should have cut to a patient laying in bed and then Dr. Uh, Julia Heller was like, sorry, we just don't have enough blood for you. And then the person dies because they've been drinking all the blood. Classic Grendlers. That was my problem. It's like, it should be bags of like, no one's going to live off of like a hundred milliliter tube of blood. You can't save anybody's life. Oh, it's the future, just though. a very tiny transfusion. Just <laughs> You just need a drop of something else, you know. Do you have a nosebleed? We got the thing for you. Yeah, yeah. We'll fix that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, basically what we see is these Grendlers, which I guess you both didn't like. Uh, it was my favorite part is when the Grendlers just had the whole show to themselves. But we watched them pantomime being out of blood, being upset they're out of blood, and then putting together a fruit basket. And one of the <laughs> Grendlers sending the other Grendler off being like, deliver this fruit basket to the Eden Project and maybe see if they'll give you some more human blood while you're there. And I was just like, this is a real like neighbor trade that's happening here. <laughs> But again, no one says anything in this scene. We watch two gigantic costumed people who are can barely move around try to mime this. I loved it. I loved every second. Uh, meanwhile, the the Eden- <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, the Eden Project is still discussing how they're going to find a mountain pass to leave 
the area they're in, I guess, to find warmer winter. And, like, Danzinger whips out these snowshoes he's made and everyone's blown away because they've never seen snowshoes before. That was my favorite line of the whole episode is, how do they work? (laughs) (laughs) Use your imagination, You tell me, you're on another planet right now. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, That Grendler, meanwhile, shows up with his basket of fruit, just goes into Julia's medical tent and starts just rooting around for what he hopes will find is human canisters of blood. Um, And what's kind of weird here for me is something I kept struggling with all episodes. The Grendlers seem to understand... To go to a medical tent, they seem to understand that maybe Julia is a doctor, or maybe they just don't understand all humans at all. But they have no concept of where human blood comes from. Like, to them, it's just, like, a delicious drink. But they seem to understand they should look in a medical tent for it. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just one of those things you have to hand wave over. Maybe it's I... just the only place there's tubes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, but while he's riding, while the little Grendler's riding around, uh, rooting around in there, Dr. Heller walks in and sort of catches the Grendler. At the exact moment, a spider that has snuck into the basket of fruit. We keep seeing cutaways of this spider because it was in the cave, snuck into the basket of fruit. And you're like, what's going to happen? It climbs onto the Grendler and this spider bites the Grendler. And the reaction to this poisonous bite is... The Grendler immediately falls in love with Dr. Heller. I didn't catch that, though, this scene. Was I the only one who didn't understand that's what was happening? I I didn't understand that the the sudden um, <laughs> wave of love was due to the spider bite. I didn't get it at all. But, like, I was coming into this very blind, so... I thought he just wanted more blood. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I guess what we're supposed to know is because, like, after he gets bitten by the spider, he gives Julie the fruit basket and then, like, materializes a bouquet of flowers from somewhere that he gives to her as well. And then he just kind of leaves and is just, like, doesn't ask for more blood because, as we see, he gets back to his Grendler cave where his Grendler buddy's waiting. And the Grendler buddy's just so pissed off. He's just like, you gave him the fruit basket and you didn't get any blood in return? What are you thinking? Now we got to get more fruit. <laughs> But again, this is another five-minute scene where they just kind of bump into each other. I don't, I can't believe you hated that. This is my favorite part of the episode. Any scene with those two Grendlers. Well, I mean, any scene where I don't have to see the human characters is, is a plus. But I don't know. Give me some little, uh, little text at the bottom. <laughs> you wanted subtitles? Yeah. Subtitles would be great. <laughs> um, the Eden Project, meanwhile, they're excited to have this basket of alien fruit. Because they're starving, as we've found out in our previous episodes in the winter. But really, they're most interested in where did Grendlers get a fresh fruit in the middle of winter? And in addition to this basket of fresh fruit, inside, both conveniently and coincidentally, is a hidden camera that they found. I believe they call it a structural maintenance camera mixed in with the fruit. And Yale is able to hollow project from his hand the footage on the camera. And apparently, this fruit came from a beach that also happens to contain the communication station the Eden Project dropped at the New Pacifica landing site back in the pilot episode before they crash-landed on this planet. So we're seeing like their destination hollow-projected, and apparently the Grendlers were able to get the fruit on the same beach that New Pacifica's on? Yep. <laughs> yep. But let me, let me point out, when we eventually do get to the beach, I noticed there was no fruit anywhere. It's just a beach. <laughs> not not even a lone coconut tree. <laughs> yeah, or one coconut just bobbing up in the water. I'd be like, ah, there's fruit there. <laughs> <laughs> just wanted to see a bunch of fruit in the ocean bobbing. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, but, I mean, this is the central mystery of the episode is 
how did the Grendlers travel thousands of kilometers from this winter landscape to the tropical beach where the New Pacifica landing site is? This is like the destination the show's been headed to for episodes and episodes. So this is the central mystery. Like, how did Grendlers get there from here? The viewers are excited. Everyone's excited. You can't wait for the commercials to get back to this. How did these little monsters get from one place to another? <laughs> and the answer is so much further than you'd actually think. <laughs> um I don't know. I thought this was perhaps one of their more interesting kickoffs to an episode they've had in like episodes. So I was I was on board. Um, the answer is, of course, there's a magical portal inside this cave. Um, the Grendlers have left to go get more fruit because they want to trade it for human blood still. And Devin and Danzinger go there with Alonzo and Dr. Heller to just try to figure out how this how this cave works and like how the Grendlers are traveling. And when they get there, what they kind of find is the empty cave. They find... It's full of big old spiders just crawling around spider webs. Oh. <laughs> and uh, I was so confused by these spiders because, you know, they introduce it with the first Grendler. And then when they come to the caves, there's this like big scene where like one of the spiders crawls into Danzinger's pocket. And then just like they never comment on it again. It was a real like Chekhov's gun. But for a spider at the beginning of this episode, like when are we going to come back to this spider in this man's pocket? And here I was thinking like, wow, set deck really went ham with the cobwebs. I was just thinking this is someone, you know, really going for it with this cave. Well, they really they really downplay those spiders for a long time in this episode. So I also, after a while, was like, do these spiders matter? Like, why did we show that shot of a spider in that man's pocket? We haven't gone back to it for 40 minutes. But it, it, it's such a like a slow build to why these spiders matter. Um, but what really matters in this cave is there seems to be like, there's a sub cave inside of this cave, which they describe as the planet's rapid transit system or part of the planet's circulatory system and i guess it's they say it's a time space fold that like electromagnetically pulls you great distances but like the visual for it was kind of crazy like it's like a swirling white specter comes up and grabs you and like then sucks you down the cave yeah it's almost like a cartoon effect they get like like they're going into warp drive, but just the body. So they get to go and into a little hole. I'm, I'm going to say it doesn't look great. N- not the best. Not the best <laughs> special effects. <laughs> a, yeah, it was a little it felt a little throwbacky. Like it did look more stop animated than it did look like anything else. I mean, I thought it was a little fun, but it was it was weird for sure. It was definitely a new twist for the show. This like weird subterranean subway system now. <laughs> <laughs> but they and I mean I know this is kind of just uh, what happens in this kind of uh, science fiction TV show. But they reach conclusions very very fast, and the only conclusions they reach happen to be the exact answer that is that's true. They'll be like, "This seems like a circulatory system." It is a circulatory system. They're like, "Hmm, I think spiders are involved. The spiders are involved." It happens at, at all times. Like we get to watch them kind of like walk around and and just kind of do stuff, but. Anytime someone has a guess, it's spot on. So, I mean, good for them. <laughs> right? If I walked into a cave full of spiders, my first guess wouldn't be like, ooh, time-fold circulatory system. It would be like, no, I'm not going in. Yeah. That's it. End of episode. Big old nope. I don't and you go you back and you're drinking hot chocolate with Zero the robot. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to be what this guy is. Useless. There were... There were a surprising number of spiders that they were not concerned about. Like, just alien spiders, I would also be like, I don't know, man. I'm not going to mess with them. To be fair, though, that is consistent with this show because they are a group of humans that aren't that interested in their surroundings. 
Oh, they love their surroundings. They'll abuse them in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, anyway, for whatever reason, which I still, I guess they went back to camp to tell people they found this portal. But like Danzinger and Devin suddenly leave this cave, and then Alonzo also wanders off so they can leave Doctor Heller alone for two minutes. And while she's alone, one of the Grendlers returns, gets really insistent about a bag it's carrying. And knocks her over and unconscious, and then just proceeds to kidnap her through the portal. I was just like, why? Like, it just was such a weird, like, they needed everyone to, like, depart for two minutes so she could get kidnapped. And then literally all the other characters return to the cave almost at the same time. I guess Alonzo, like, tries out the portal and comes back and says, hey, you guys, it's fine. It's like, uh, you just jump in and it takes you somewhere. Because what they should have had is all of them go, smoke break? Smoke break? And they all go and have a cigarette, <laughs> and she's the only one who doesn't smoke. That would have made sense. Because basically what happens is she's gone. Alonzo knows now that the portal works fine. And so Danzinger, Devin, and Alonzo all just like jump in the portal and race off to wherever it's headed. Which was weird because when they get to the other side of the portal, which is on this tropical beach, it's not like they wake up or it's not even like they just step out of a portal. They just wake up randomly scattered around a beach. It just... I didn't understand how this portal worked. Like, why does it, like, throw you so far from your exit point? (laughs) Unconscious? I assumed it was, like, getting shot out of a cannon. And, like, it just, it's, like, indiscriminate the way it, the direction it shoots you out. (laughs) So, like, you could have been shot into the water. It would have been terrible. And that was my question, too, is, like, uh, Devin is on the beach. How nice for her. But if someone's getting shot out of the cannon, then how come Denziger isn't just, like, completely pancaked against a cave wall? Like, he just happened to land, like, shoop! Right in a little tunnel. <laughs> yeah, he's like, jam- like for, yeah, for some reason, Danziger's jammed in a tiny crawl space tunnel under the tunnel they were in. I, and I'm not sure. It's because, as we know, the spiders become important later. I wasn't sure if it was because the spider was in his pocket or as if this is just every time the Grendlers use this, they like wake up somewhere new. They have no idea where. <laughs> this poor Grendlers. <laughs> it's so weird because what we have in this plot now is they've come through this portal to track down the missing Dr. Heller. But now Danzinger's missing in this crawl space. So then we have a whole sequence where Alonzo and Devin just search for Danzinger in the episode. Yeah, they had to choose. They're like, look, we can only search for one person. I think we all like Danzinger a little more. Let's, let's find him. <laughs> they they don't. Like, what happens is they just wander back into the cave and he, like, crawls out of his, craw- like, the little tiny cave he's crawling through. And they're like, oh, I guess we're all back together again. And you think now they're going to go find Dr. Heller. But Dr. Heller, meanwhile, has been like trapped in a cave under the ocean by these Grendlers. The one Grendler wants her to like create human blood for him. You know, they don't know how it works. So she's just like, Hey, I see you're afraid of spiders, which are also crawling around the cave I'm in. Can you go get me some seawater while I like secretly grab a spider and shove it in a drinking glass for you? (laughs) I have a real quick point to make about the spiders here though, because you did mention that the Grendlers seem like they're scared of the spiders. Now, my question is, are they scared of the spiders because it's really, really painful to get bitten by the spider? Because if so, there's some scenes later that raise some interesting uh, uh, moral I questions. I mean, we'll get into that because that is the biggest part of this show. The second thing is, or is it they're really scared of the spiders because it's made some real problems in their society with people getting angry or falling in love immediately after getting bitten? Well, this is what happens here is uh, the Grendler goes off to get seawater on the auspice of she's going to make human blood out of it. When it comes back... Dr. Heller, like, gives it a glass with a spider in it. It tries to drink the glass, and a spider, like, falls onto its face and bites it. But instead of falling in love this time, the 
Grendler gets really aggressive. That was hard to tell because I'm like, if someone forced me to drink a spider, I would also get really aggressive afterward. Yeah, that does not seem like a supernatural effect. That is how <laughs> angry I'd be if someone's like, haha, you've been pranked with a spider <laughs> in your glass. <laughs> but also there's the limitations of, of the emotions that the person inside of this gigantic costume can convey. So an angry Grendler and a Grendler in love move the exact same way, which is shuffling. <laughs> But yes, this Grendler's now trying to attack her. She falls over and cuts herself. And now this Grendler figured out where human blood comes from. <laughs> Which I'm just like, how long before the Grendlers just start massacring these people for their blood? But uh, I mean, it doesn't go anywhere because that Grendler who's in love with her shows up and just starts like wrestling. There's like a Grendler wrestling match takes place and Dr. <laughs> Heller's able to escape on her own. It's like a very weird spacey version of Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> And by the way, uh, this is the first of the of in in two episodes. Both times, there's a a scene where aliens are wrestling and the humans in the middle, and they're just like, "I guess I'll just get out of here," and they'll sneak <laughs> away. It happens twice in two episodes. Pretty good. <laughs> okay, it's always fun. Fun to watch aliens wrestle, I suppose. Um, it's like that classic cartoon thing of people are fighting, you just crawl away between their legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she runs off. She just bumps into the others who've come looking for her. All of the, like, mission is basically solved. Like, nobody finds anybody. They just kind of run into each other on this in this cave. And then they just spend the rest of the episode... I mean, it's not long, but we come to understand that they just walk for 10 kilometers up and down the beach trying to find that communications dish they saw in the video. Until someone points up the sky and says, Hey, the sun's going the wrong direction. And they realize they're not on the west coast where New Pacific is supposed to be. They're on the east coast... 6,000 kilometers in the wrong direction. I guess that's where the portal took them. They found New Atlantica. New Atlantica. (laughs) Yeah, and there still could be fruit there. I mean, uh, that's what's crazy is they basically are like, oh, we're on the wrong beach. Let's not try to find any preserves or anything. Let's just head back to the old portal. And uh, at the time, space time fold, it was so crazy. Like the spider finally comes back into play. The one that's crawled into Danzinger's coat pocket. For some reason... Alonzo puts he puts on Danzinger's coat because like Danzinger's like hey or Alonzo's like hey you left your coat on the floor and he's just like ah you wear it I don't want to wear my coat (laughs) (laughs) and Alonzo gets bitten by the spider he passes out and when he wakes up he sees Devin who is not his love on this show and immediately starts like pining for he's just like oh man I'm in love with you in the most like you know cartoon love potion sort of way no shuffling, yeah. though. <laughs> no shuffling. And the others are able to see this because he gets bitten, falls in love with her. They immediately realize the time portal has suddenly shut off because the spider has bitten him and climbed into a nearby web. And they're able to piece all these pieces together. And I'm going to try to describe how this all works because this happens in, like, what, less than two minutes they figure out the mystery of this space-time portal. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Apparently, the space-time fold is created by an electromagnetic current that the spiders create because one spider in the cave in the Winterland is a positively charged spider, and the spider on the beach cave is negatively charged. And you can tell that because when you're bitten by a winter spider, you fall in love, a positive emotion. And when you're bitten by a beach spider, you get very aggressive, a negative emotion. Hence, 
positive and negative charges creating an electromagnetic trip between these two portals. And when they accidentally brought the positive spider with them, they've shut down the portal because the negative and positive charges don't work when there's wrong spiders in the wrong spider web. Yep. And again, they piece that together like, you know what? That makes sense. That's not a leap of logic at all. That, that makes perfect sense. It was one of the craziest, both like, you know, this is a crazy idea that there's this portal. And then the best way they could find to like visualize and explain it was just like, there's positive and negative spiders. How do we visualize that? Oh, maybe when they bite you, your emotions are positive or negative, which is just like, I don't think that's quite how that works. <laughs> I should say also, when uh, Alonzo wakes up and he's cartoon in love with Devin, uh, Julia, like, throws a little hissy fit and goes out to the beach, even though it's, like, clearly not a natural reaction. But Danziger in the cave's just like, whatever, who cares? And then they cut back <laughs> to Danziger, and he punches Alonzo. And I was like, he just went from, like, zero to 100 in one scene. <laughs> he couldn't stand that uh, his lady love was being macked on by this uh, pilot. <laughs> But but Maybe again, he thankfully, was bit by a jealousy spider. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> who knows? But thankfully, a punch is the exact antidote to love, as we've all learned. <laughs> <laughs> I know that punch just wakes Alonzo up for some reason. Oh my god, so so funny. <laughs> I was about to say, like, if I got punched by what's his face, Clancy Jones, I, like I Clancy Brown, I would snap out at anything. I think <laughs> I'd probably be dead. Oh, one hundred percent. Just. That brittle neck just snaps clean yeah. off. <laughs> um, but basically, they have to figure out now, to get the time portal to work again, they need to find the love spider on the hate spider web <laughs> so that the magnetic polarities are working again. That sounds like a, a book that will teach you about relationships. Find the love spider on the hate spider's web. I'm like, all right, I guess I'll read it. And... The craziest part about this, and you alluded to this earlier, Jordan, is like, they're like, how are we going to do that? They're, they look identical. And Dr. Harrell's like, I've got an idea. And she lures the Grendler, who is in love with her, back to the cave. And they just shove it into the spider web <laughs> and watch it get bitten by spiders. <laughs> yeah, but spider after spider. I think there's like four times. And remember, they, they have that line of dialogue where Julia's like, he's fine. <laughs> well, that's so you're like, like, as a viewer, you're like, I, I guess that's okay. Someone literally says, "Is like you think this is gonna kill him?" And they're like, "That's eh, fine, it's fine." <laughs> that was <laughs> my jaw was on the floor. I was like, "You are terrible people." <laughs> it was like the cruelest thing I've ever seen. I'm just like, "You guys still are heroes." <laughs> they should have had just a close up shot of the Grendler's eye and just one single tear rolls down <laughs> its cheek. You're like, "Oh man." <laughs> uh, but finally, after getting bitten repeatedly, they managed to <laughs> capture the love spider. Put it back in Danzinger's pocket and the time space fold restarts so they're able to head back to the uh, winter area they all live in. And what I love is they, like, they exit that cave back where they came from and literally everybody from camp is in the cave waiting to cheer their return. Yep. I guess the, uh, the doctor did figure it out on his own. <laughs> this is where it, everyone is. It was just like a huge welcome back from the entire crowd. And they all like stand around and agree. It's just like, let us never attempt to use this space time fold again for any useful purpose because it took us the wrong direction one time. We'll never talk about it again. Well, it's funny. We mentioned this in the uh, the previous podcast. The show is it's sort of slowly turning into Gilligan's Island where it's like, well, that coconut raft didn't work. Guess we'll never make a raft again. It's like, guys, I don't know. Maybe again, send the robot in there. 
Well, and it's too crazy because they're like, oh, it took us to the wrong beach, so it's useless. Let's never use it again. But they literally got a camera off of their communications dish on the correct beach with the fresh fruit. So clearly the tunnels do go the opposite direction. Like, it's not even a question that they don't. They just need to, like, experiment a little. But there's probably cockroaches in that other one. (laughs) (laughs) This time you have to eat them to travel. (laughs) Yeah. That's like a hilarious prank you do in someone. You're like, oh, see, here's the deal. There's positive and negative cockroaches, but you got to eat them all. <laughs> like, look at him. He's over there eating them. Joe Rogan just shows up. <laughs> <laughs> look, well, I got that'd be a, a great a episode. pile of these time traveling cockroaches. So <laughs> here's what we got to do. <laughs> and you guys, can you tell me what this means? Because I, in my notes I was making while I watched the show, my final note on the episode is, spider kiss and i don't know why i wrote that (laughs) was there a spider kiss at the end of the episode but you know what my final note is mine says spiders make people horny so something happened somebody (laughs) kissed because of those spiders at the end of the episode and i can't remember why i was just super touched at how gently is it alonzo puts the the love spider back on the web like it's true. there you go little guy sorry to disturb you <laughs> that's what it is i remember what the shot is thank you joe it what it is is alonzo and uh, julia are having like a conversation they gently kiss and the camera racks focus onto the spider web with the spider on it and you go <laughs> huh that's what the final <laughs> shot is that's what a spider kiss is yeah it's very funny and this is more for like the listeners and maybe jordan a little bit but uh we haven't mentioned this because it sort of just happened naturally with the break in the show. Was you know, We took a break for six months from the show, basically, and came back. When we left the show, there was a will-they-won't-they they going on between Dr. Heller and Alonzo. But literally, the episode, I think we came back to the show, someone just offhandedly said, oh, yeah, they, like, sleep together now in their tent. Like, that love story has stopped being off again, on again. Like, they are just now a couple. But it just ne- it hasn't been mentioned. Like, it went from, like, they aren't who they are in like a single episode and since we've been back it's like they've always been a couple well i agree it's like they, that was the whole thing like they were like the the subplot of yeah will they or won't they and then they were just walking on the the beach with their hand holding hands i was like that looks pretty serious hand holding yeah it's, i think they just started being a couple and it's just because of where we took our break i just am like oh i guess like while we were gone they fell in love <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah that's just wraps up more or less that episode like it was crazy like i the, the science, the weird science they're making up, like, it was amazing. I didn't see any of it coming. Sudden explanations were insane. Yeah, and I'm going to argue. It was a journey, yeah. I'm going to argue that that was the better of the two episodes. Well, I mean, we'll find out, because here we go for episode 17. Here's the IMDb summary for episode 17. The boy who would be Tarion King. Last year, we spent my birthday on a syndrome ward with all the other sick kids. But my mom threw a party anyway. And Yale gave me a VR program called All the Things I Can Be. But I knew he was just trying to keep my spirits up. Kids with the syndrome weren't supposed to live past their eighth birthday. But here I am. I haven't even sneezed in four months, thanks to the Terrians. I guess it's really time for me to start thinking about what I'll be when I grow up. As Yuli celebrates his ninth birthday, his adult self from the future contacts Devin to persuade her to help him evade the authorities determined to wipe his Tarian traits from his DNA. Meanwhile, Yale and True nurse a sick kobo back to health. Uh, 
And that was courtesy of Melissa J. Oh, wow. Is someone else uh, watching this show? That's two people who've watched this show. I know, a new a new person, fresh blood. <laughs> when you realized this was uh, going to be an episode of uh, In the Future, you realized, oh, none of this is going to matter, right? I mean, we'll get it. We can talk about that because I have... It is crazy several points of this idea of showing an episode that takes place both in the current timeline and 16 years in the future, which is where this episode starts. <laughs> Uh, which was cool, actually. I liked how it began. Like, we kind of see this. They're on Earth, too. We're seeing a gro- an adult Yuli and his Terrian friend uh, break into this huge, like, multi-story industrial complex surrounded by electrical fences. And I was just like, whoa, what is happening on this show? We are way out there in this episode. And I guess they're there to sabotage some sort of communication dish. But they're like, security finds them and, like, immediately catches Yuli in this, like, laser net that can go underground and scoop people up. And it was one of the worst graphics of visual effects the show has done. And I loved it so much. It made me laugh, laugh. I watched it three times. Yeah, that uh, that whole opening sequence was quite the, the mind-blowing segment for me. <laughs> it's just like, oh, they're, they're rocketing out of the ground. And they're rocketing back into the ground. And now there's <laughs> a red cartoon net holding him midair. <laughs> just a lot happening. It's true. I think coming into only these two episodes, you know so little about what's happening, and this one is so heavy into the mythology. Like, you're seeing the Tarian power to go in and out of the ground, and a human who can do that. And yep. then they're introducing this, like, laser net that, like, just appears, like, it. The, the security guards are like, turn it on! And it just, like, appears in midair, this animated, like, red s- cylinder, disappears into the ground, and then pulls a man up and like he's just dangling the air in this like fake laser net i'm like what is happening here i think though if every time the tarian comes in and out of the ground they used a slide whistle sound effect it would make it a lot more entertaining (laughs) (laughs) yeah because the only other time you use it is to show an erection am i right (laughs) oh my gosh oh dear Yuli is uh, in this future, the 16 years in the future. Yuli is now a grown man who's the leader of Tarian rebels. And he has been, he was invading to sabotage the, uh, I guess, the settlement of another grown up syndrome kid who, I guess, finally arrived. I guess they were successful in their mission. More syndrome kids arrived. This one's name is Max, and he's growing up. But his father never let him get the cure that the Tarians were giving out. Like, he never let the Tarians, like, mess with his DNA. So he only stays alive by huffing synthetic drugs through an inhaler. Like every two minutes, he's like huffing out of this like inhaler device. It's a big, big puffer. (laughs) It took me a while to even understand what he was doing. But what we're supposed to remember from this, and Joe, I'm not sure if you picked up on this, but on Earth in these satellites they live in, these Syndrome kids are dying from like a lack of like natural atmosphere and they usually die before they get to nine years old so what we're seeing in the future is that i guess these kids have come to this planet you can either get cured by the tarians or you can just use these synthetic drugs that you huff every two minutes to keep the pain away yeah i think there there was some good exposition because i managed to pick up on that with nine-year-old yuli telling the story is how i almost died on my eighth birthday (laughs) I was like, oh, this is this is great. Normally, I would find this very hack, but helpful to me today. Thank you. <laughs> also, we should say this is um, after a, a, a two-episode hiatus, the voiceover's back on this show. That's true. The voiceover came back, and it got to be Yuli finally got his own voiceover. Here's the thing. No one likes this character. No one wants to hear his inner thoughts. Well, and he's, of the two child, child actors, the weakest one, so it, it is, it's a rough voiceover. 
be great if we could do it like Wonder Years style. Get that oh, guy yeah. back. <laughs> Daniel Stern is doing the voice over. <laughs> <laughs> be great if Daniel Stern was old Yuli. That's quite a bit in the future. In the future. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this this Max guy is holding Yuli in a cell, future Yuli in a cell, because um, the quote Justice Committee end quote has just changed the laws so that quote area marshals end quote can punish criminals without approval. A lot of a lot of lore getting thrown out of sixteen years in the future. I knew you were going to pay attention to this. I decided right off the bat. I don't care about any of the details of what's happening in the future because it's not going to matter. And it, in fact, does not matter. Yuli has been charged with trespassing, attempted sabotage, and inciting the native population to violence. Um, But Yuli notes also that uh, Max and his settlement are guilty of crimes of their own. For instance, violating the National Lands Treaty, illegal expansion, murder of 12 Tarians. A lot of crimes going on this episode. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. But essentially what we're coming to learn, like, what's happened in the future of Earth 2 is people have arrived, they've started settling, and this Max and Yuli have been fighting over a water supply in the area. Apparently the original treaty that Max signed to build his settlement did not give him water access, which, that's on him, my friend. Like, you gotta look at <laughs> you gotta look at that treaty. If you don't have water access, that's on you. He's um, like, can I see the whole map of the land I'm getting? They're like... No, no, you can't. All right, I guess I'll sign it. (laughs) Um, And Max has captured Yuli, and he will only release him if he signs a new treaty ceding land to reach the water supply on behalf of the Tarians. A lot of of political intrigue and treaty talk this episode. (laughs) It's got everything, really. Except for love-hate spiders. No love-hate spiders this time. They would have been useful, though. Could have got Yuli to sign that paper. Right? We could have used a time fold in this episode. Really? Hey, that means something, huh? They fall in love, and it gets them. You get someone to fall in love with you just so they can sign all the documents. That's a more interesting episode. I mean, I think those love spiders have a lot of uh, possibilities they haven't considered. They should have really taken a few with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Yuli, of course, won't sign this treaty. At which point, Max reveals that he knew that Yuli would never compromise, but he only did it. He only offered this compromise because uh, Yuli's mother, Devin forced him to and we reveal old Devin 16 years in the future she looks about the same but got a nice gray streak in her hair <laughs> I love TV when it does stuff like that to show that someone's aged but like I guess they have a, a little bit of gray hair have and like no one's ever seen someone age before give her uh, give her a streak and maybe put her hair in a beehive <laughs> that's, that's what happens to everyone over 40 right yeah <laughs> that's beehive. what people look like in the future beehive hair back hair hair ugh whatever it comes back <laughs> <laughs> um in this future Devin, i guess is a politician she's been i guess helping settle everyone who's arrived on earth too and i guess what we come what we come to learn is she's kind of um in the political spectrum of this future she's kind of this like moderate or maybe like uh, in a modern term she's some sort of like neoliberal because she wants to protect the tarians rights but she also seems, like, willing to cave to the very aggressive, like, Max who just wants to kill every terror. Like, she's willing to compromise over anything. Like, Max is just like, I want to hold your son hostage and, like, steal this land from the Tarians so I can get to water supplies. And she's just like, well, that's a fair compromise. I've come up with this treaty to force my son to sign. And I'm okay <laughs> with you threatening to wipe his, like, Tarian side out because I'm a moderate. And I'm just like, What? I'm surprised she didn't offer a couple of, uh, of Grendlers 
you know she's like hey we, we've got this cave and these little uh, those little squashed faced hippo things do you want to like just repeatedly put spiders on them we can do that that seems to scratch an itch for, yeah for we'll people. give you the tearing land you can torture a couple grand layers but you have to be a little nicer in the future <laughs> it's got a time fold look it's great you can get to the beach anytime you want <laughs> is it the beach on the pacific side though that's the only one i want <laughs> <laughs> um yuli of course does not like his mother's tactics in this future. So the two of them haven't spoken in years because Yuli's become, I guess he started this rebellion with the Tarians against the like encroaching human settlements. And he's very much this like dances with wolves or like, or like Dune, like the Apollo Trady sort of white savior character who's joined the uh, native population to save them from the humans. Yeah. I mean, it's a trope. Very much Where's so. Where's the spice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. He always says that every time he walks into the Tarian cave and they never laugh once. He's like, hey guys, where's the spice? And they're like, yeah, all right. Okay. Um, but yes, she's basically there to be like, Yuli, I'm trying to compromise with this like militant psychopath. So sign his illegal treaty for him or he's going to, pro- he's going to perform a medical procedure, which I believe they called a corneal alt, which somehow will wipe the Tarian DNA out of his system, which is just, I, they just have a laser scalpel. I guess they just scrape it off. They just scrape his DNA off. I love the little laser scalpel. It was like a lightsaber, but incredibly unimpressive. It's like, hey, you know it'd be good instead of a lightsaber. What if we have one that's maybe three inches long? <laughs> Teeny tiny. <laughs> Future Yuli's faced with this threat of losing his ability to use his Tarian powers and like becoming a syndrome. Like, I guess he'll just become a syndrome kid again, having to huff all this inhaler stuff. And this is kind of the setup to the, the plot is like in the future, adult Yuli is in trouble unless he signs a treaty that fucks over the Tarians. Uh, side note, syndrome kids sounds like a great punk band name. <laughs> That's true. That is a good, that is a good punk band, punk band name. Quick. Who wants to play bass? <laughs> Finally, though, we jump back to, I guess, the present timeline in Earth 2, and it's almost baby Yuli's ninth birthday. And what what does he get for presents? Is this when he gets his presents now? No, no. We got a whole bunch of stuff to do in the past oh, before no. we get his actual birthday, Jordan. That's the only part I'm excited about. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, What we see is it's it's baby Yuli. He's excited it's almost his birthday. He's skipping out on his chores. He's climbing trees. He's uh, getting in a fight with True over a swing she built. And it's been a few episodes since we've seen them in a fight. And I thought when they started fighting again, I didn't miss this. <laughs> it reminded me of how uh, how much I hate that little boy and <laughs> how much everyone treats that little girl like shit. Yeah, she always gets the short end of the stick. It's like he acts whiny and they both get punished. He walks into a place. She has, through her own gumption, figured out how to build a swing for her to use She's just finished building it. Yuli jumps out and says, it's mine because I'm the birthday boy. <laughs> and then Devin interrupts the fight and she's just like, Devin's like, Yuli, you should be doing your chores. And then True goes to get on the swing she's just finished building. And Devin's like, no, you also should go do Yuli's chores as well. You should enjoy the fruits of your labor. You should go do my son's chores with him. I was just like, what the fuck? This is bullshit. <laughs> what she should have done is take us some scissors and then cut the rope and then said, also, you're poor and then walked away. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> because because she's a debt slave, Devin treats her so bad. Which also, funnily enough, we find out this episode 
that Yale, who used to be, you won't know this, uh, Joe. But I have Yale questions used to, about this. Yeah. Yale used to be Devin's cyborg tutor, who she's kept around <laughs> to tutor her own son. And this episode is revealed that just recently he's been freed from the slavery Devin has kept him in to be his own man. And I was just like, wait, he's only been freed from Devin's slavery in the last two weeks? That's madness. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, Devin's a bad person, I think. Yeah, and uh, I had no idea that like indentured servants were a thing in this new colonial world. <laughs> Makes sense, though, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> she's, she's like very liberal until it uh, affects her, and then she's just like, well, you're still my slave. Uh, the Eden Project is also still trying to find a pass out of these mountains. Like, this is, like, I think the only plot line now is, like, how do we leave these mountains? Uh, this time, Alonzo tries to walk down a hill, uh, gets attacked by a uh, migraine because he walks too close to a Tarian tribe who doesn't care for him and uh, they have to run away. And it's only there because they need to set up this idea that later in the show, they need to know there's this place they're not allowed to go because the Tarians won't let them. Oh, but how hard could it be to find a path out of these mountains, though? Here's the thing. They keep talking about, it's like, we need to find a path out of these mountains so we can get to warmer weather. And I'm just like, that's not how winter works. Like, you don't just, like, walk down a hill and it's summer. But also, they've walked all around the place. A few episodes ago, they walked all the way to find that old guy with a metal mask. He had a camp in somewhere. That didn't look like it was the hills. Yeah, I just don't... I, that's what I understand. It's like, I just don't feel like... I don't think there's a way out of winter. Like, you either keep walking or you don't. Like, you can't, you're, you're not going to discover the magical pass... Other than that portal you refuse to use that takes you to a beach. Spend the winter on that beach, you guys, and then come back. It's true. So many easy anyway. solutions. Anyway, this is way off topic. <laughs> it's the night before old uh, Yuli's birthday. Not old Yuli. Baby Yuli's birthday. And uh, Devin goes to have a sleep. And that night she's pulled into the Tarian dreamscape. Uh, Joe, this must have also been confusing for you. But the Tarians control a dreamscape where people can hang out and chat in. <laughs> There was a lot of uh, mythology to cover in this episode. Mythology and political structures. <laughs> it's true. You came into a very lore-heavy episode. In this dream, though, she encounters this grown-up future Yuli who has used his willpower and the power of love to travel back in time in the dreamscape to talk to his mother before his ninth birthday. Um, of course, she doesn't believe him, so he tells her in that classic sense... On my ninth birthday, Yale gave me a sled he built himself. And Devin's like, Yale would never do that. And she wakes up and heads off to the birthday party Jordan's so excited for. You always see this in TV shows. You know, someone has like uh, magically entered someone else's body or they have aged rapidly or they've gone back in time or something. And they always have something they tell the other person to let them know that they are actually themselves. And I always think, I don't know what I would ever say. Like, if I suddenly, like, I showed up and I was now, like, a little lizard, and I was trying to convince Luke that I'm still me, he'd be like, how do I know you're Jordan? I'd be like, I don't know, whatever. I guess I'm a lizard. <laughs> Just step on you. Yeah, forget it. I, I, what, what is there? I'm like, remember, we did a podcast, and he'd be like, anyone can know that, and then you kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, when you're right, you're right, Jordan. There's nothing you could do to convince me you were a lizard. But yeah, Jordan, it's time for the birthday party, where he yeah. gets all his gifts. He gets, I know the main thing. I think the the best present is the chocolate. He gets chocolate from Bess and Morgan, who has really has delegated to nothing in these last couple episodes, just to be an annoying person. He's like, I want the chocolate. And they're like, <laughs> we'll talk about it later. And that's their whole scene. 
which I enjoyed for some reason. My favorite. <laughs> I mean, part classic about Morgan. Yeah. yeah. It's four squares of chocolate, too. And I'm like, wow, what a future. <laughs> There's spiders everywhere. Four <laughs> squares of chocolate is a, is a present. I'm like, I've eaten that much today. I don't... <laughs> it's just it's how I roll. <laughs> Happy birthday. But, but, I think, but I think the big present is the sled, because Yale gives him a sled, and there's this big, like, preamble to it, and then Yuli's like, I love it. What is it? Which is like, how, why do you love it? Just because you like the look of it? Yuli, you suck. <laughs> Yes, uh, Yuli gets the prophesized sled from the dream. And what was wild to me is, like, Yale gives him the sled. It basically proves what happened in Devin's dream. And all that happens is Devin just gets so pissed off with Yale. He's like, why did you give my son that? I, you didn't tell me you were going to give me that to my son. How dare you? And Yale's just like, I, I don't have to run the gifts I'm buying your son by you. I'm I'm not your slave anymore. And she's just like, mm, I think you are, maybe. <laughs> well, she was acting as if he's like... It's your ninth birthday. Here's a prostitute. Yeah, like I gave him a machete or something. Yeah. <laughs> it was it was hilarious. I mean, it's supposed to show she's worried about that dream, but it just from Yale's perspective, he just got a dressing down from his former boss for like giving a really nice present. How dare he built you himself. treat my son like <laughs> I didn't get him anything. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that she didn't get him that anything. That's true. Yeah. Everyone else is just hanging around watching the chocolate and sled be given. I'd be like, oh, crap, it's his birthday now. Um, here's a snowball. <laughs> here's this magic spider. He'll take you to the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> um, but now that Devin believes that future Yuli was in her dream, she I like that she, she walks directly into Dr. Heller's tent, where Dr. Heller is clearly like in the middle of doing work. Like She's clearly like working on some medical stuff. And she's like, Yo, Dr. Heller, I need to go to sleep. Can you prescribe me a sleep aid? And Dr. Heller's like, oh, yeah, I guess I could. Um, do you need it right now? And she's like, yes, right now. Stop what you were doing. And then Dr. Heller's like, all right, well, here's a drug that's highly addictive. If you don't use it, you shouldn't use it many times. And you just have a laugh. And they're like, ha, 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 well, I'll just go use it right now. <laughs> I liked it, though. It's got that, like, like a psst. You put it right in your neck. Yeah, that's the, be- that's the best way to take drugs. I mean, it is very powerful. She go. It's like what, eleven a.m. She goes into her tent, <laughs> zaps herself, and falls asleep to return to the sleep plane so she can go hang out with future Yuli. Only a few minutes ago, she was criticizing the kids for not getting their chores done, and now she's going to sleep at eleven o'clock in the morning. It was crazy. I was just like, this is just madness. She's criticizing Yale. Like, for building a sled in his spare time. Then she's disrupting the doctor, and then she's like, eh, I'm going to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, she's the worst leader, and she's the worst character. Except for Yuli. When she wakes up, it appears to be, like, 7 a.m. the next day. She, like, no one minded that she went to sleep for an entire day, basically. <laughs> they were probably partying. They loved they it. They were probably relieved. Yeah, they were They were busy. It was Yuli's birthday. They are having a great time. Her own <laughs> son's birthday. It's 11 a.m. on her son's birthday. She's asleep. <laughs> Um, in this dream, though, she dreamscape, she goes to visit him. He explains that what, she, what he's come back in time in the dreamscape for is to ask her a favor. He needs her to go get a DNA sample that Dr. Heller keeps of a younger Tarian altered Yuli. I guess she just keeps everyone's DNA in a box next to her bed for some reason. <laughs> and then old Yuli needs Devin to send baby Yuli into those hostile Tarian ta- caves that Alonzo found. Yuli's got to go in there by himself, hide the DNA behind a triangle, triangle rock in a wall, 
But don't worry, because future Yuli and his Tarian buddy will accompany baby Yuli on the dream plane to protect him. It was crazy. Whatever this plan is, is out of control. It checks out, I think. But also, just FYI, Devin, future Yuli lets lets her know, I can't tell you too much about the future, because what what we're talking about is only a possible timeline that may or may not come true, depending on how the writers treat future episodes. <laughs> they really hedge their bets here, being like, uh, we might stick to this timeline, but we also might choose to change it. So this is just one of many possible timelines of the future. Yeah, they're like, we only contracted this actor for one episode, so we don't know if he's coming back. <laughs> we might replace him with Daniel Stern later. <laughs> <laughs> However, as this dream ends, it's because in the future, uh, old grown-up Yuli is being carted off to surgery. Uh, they're pulling out his, his tearing parts out of him using that laser scalpel, which means he won't be able to protect baby Yuli on the dream plane. Oh, no. I thought at this point, and I guess this was wrong, I thought they had manipulated the message that he was giving. When they cut to him like being strapped down, I thought the point was that he hadn't want to give the message and they were actually sending Yuli into a trap. But that's not really what it is, right? He just can't be a spirit guide. Yeah, that's it. That's all that happened is they, he's like, I'll help baby Yuli, but he didn't realize he was 30 seconds away from having his tearing brain cut out. He shouldn't have started the dream when he was already laying on the, uh, the medical bed. <laughs> he's like, oh, I don't have much enough time, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, they're about to scrape my neck with this pen laser. Uh... <laughs> And now I can't dream walk with you into this cave 16 years in the past. Sorry. <laughs> a lot, there's a lot to deal with here. Yeah. <laughs> and then baby Yuli is like, why not? It's my sled. And you're like, oh, you're such a brat. Uh, back in regular time, Devin wakes up from her long nap to uh, steal baby Yuli's DNA. And then for whatever reason, she also is not going to tell anyone what she's up to. She has to keep this a secret from everyone. So she like tells everyone she's taking her son's sledding today. And then when they're sledding, she tells her baby son another lie. He's just like, she's just like lies to him saying the Tarians want to give you a test. So you have to go by yourself into those caves and put this behind a triangle rock. And I just like, I didn't know why she had to lie to everyone other than I guess she just likes to lie. I think what they're trying to set up is that she's trying to avoid changing the future by telling people too much, but it doesn't really make sense in the context that they're showing. But I think that's supposed to be the motivation behind her being secretive. Well, and what I like too is like very late in this episode, after everything successfully happens, she visits future Yuli and she gets mad at future Yuli for lying to her about something, some part of the plan. And I was just like, but you just spent the entire episode lying to your son to go also into a cave. Like, yeah. Why are you so mad at this man for lying to you? <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't yell at Max more for something. Like, it, <laughs> it just she's just mad at everyone, and then yeah, luring her own child into immediate danger. So I guess that's true. You're uh, you don't know this, Joe, but it is within her character to be mad at everyone, but take no personal responsibility. <laughs> just the worst. <laughs> um. Anyway, she uh, takes baby Yuli to these caves. Sends him in, and uh, as after Baby Yuli enters the caves back at camp, Alonzo, who also seems to sleep at random intervals, wakes up from his own dream, and he finds out that those Tarians gave him a migraine earlier because it turns out they've heard that Baby Yuli has 
a Tarian part as well. And this particular tribe of Tarians don't like that he's a link between humans and Tarians, so they're going to hurt him if he shows up in the caves or something? Sure. It was a very funny time to get that phone call. It's just like, the second you send your son in, you get a call being like, don't do it. Very inconvenient timing on all these revelations. Like, maybe if everyone slept at the same time, we could (laughs) sort this out. (laughs) It's a lot of shift work going on at camp. (laughs) But it doesn't really matter because uh, Yuli goes to the caves. He gets menaced by these, like, angry Tarians. But then, I guess that... It's so hard to tell because, like, you can't tell the Tarians apart, but that future Tarian shows up. He, like, dreamscapes in to also, like, to protect Yuli and, I guess, in Tarian, like, voices, explains to the other Tarians not to fuck with Yuli. They bow down to him. Baby Yuli puts the DNA behind the triangle stone. Uh, Mission accomplished. I think you could tell them apart because one has a different necklace. I think that I think that's the big signifier. I think my favorite part is uh, that we're supposed to gather that Yuli can speak Tarian, but it sounds like he's speaking Pigeon more than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> it's just because the kid's not very good at it. No, <laughs> coo coo. Thank you. <laughs> like that's not what they sound like. <laughs> I love it when the guests try to do an impression of a Tarian voice. It's great. <laughs> we now pop back to the future where. Uh, Old Devin is pulling a bit of a prison break to rescue her son after he's got his Tarian brain scraped out. It's, I mean, there's a whole lead up to this where she's put in shackles and she has to, like, draw. I don't know. Whatever. She basically steals that laser scalpel, holds old Max hostage, the uh, syndrome kid with the inhaler, and they, they escape from the complex where we hard cut to the Tarian caves and meet also, grown-up Trues there, who you can tell because she has that little mole on her face in the future, too. Yeah, they really, they really spare no expense. <laughs> Apparently, they're in the same Tarian caves from the past. They pulled that DNA sample out of the Triangle Rock, and using his, like, a fragment of his DNA from 16 years ago, he just has his Tarian powers back now. They just, like, had him swallow it, I guess, and his, his DNA got better. Yeah, that's how DNA works. A lot, a lot of hand-waving going on here, but essentially, the trip to the past was to hide his Tarian altered DNA so that in the future he could get his Tarian powers back. And he's fine. The future's back to normal. Future Yuli and future Yuli's mom, Devin, they, like, make up now. Like, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't talked to you in a few years. And me too, good thing we're uh, mother-son again. And it was just... This is my big complaint about this show, and Jordan's heard it a million times, but it's just like, I didn't hate that they showed us 16 years in the future. I mean, I would have rather they just said, this is where this is going, that, like, they're going to settle this planet, they're going to fuck it up just like they did Earth, and, like, the rest of the show would just be watching, like, them heading to disaster. Like, I'm fine with that concept, but even in this show, they, like, want to whitewash it all away. They're like, oh, in the future, Devin and Yuli are at odds because they have... Like, there's a huge chasm between them. I'm like, oh, that's fun to watch how this, how that would evolve between their characters, potentially. But then they're just like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. They're friends again. Mother and son are friends again by the end of this episode. And this timeline might not exist. I, this is what drew me crazy about this episode. Is like, I liked the dark future, but they're so quick to, like, try to be like, no, 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 no. Don't worry. It's going to be a good future after all. But Luke, more importantly, the best part of this episode is the B-plot. Which, if even calling it a B-plot is generous, because 
it takes up all of maybe 10 seconds of screen time, and that's more time than it probably needs for how complicated, or I should say, how little complicated the plot is. Well, Jordan, uh, I like that you didn't want to talk about my thing anymore, so let's talk about this two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, the future. How much more we can talk about the future? It doesn't matter. It changes. I don't know. I was just... Anyway, I'll get past it. Uh, you're right. There's this weird... Th- all this was is clearly to me, that script came in and it was two minutes light. Yeah. Because the, the B plot is... True finds one of those little Kobo, like, they're just the tiny little puppets we've seen occasionally. Yeah, a little goblin. Little goblin. It is sick and or sad? Yeah, well, I wasn't sure because I thought the plot was, it was sick. But really quickly, it doesn't seem like it's sick. And a little just, a little side note. Yesterday, this may be a window into my life that we don't need. I watched both Ghoulies 1 and Ghoulies 2 purely because I wanted to see little puppets. And I should say, the puppet work on this show is vastly superior to Ghoulies, if you're comparing. <laughs> uh, all right, well, everyone, Ghoulies <laughs> below Earth 2. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, the show has a lot of problems, but the, how the way this little goblin looks is not one of those problems. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're True finds a sick goblin, a sick, sick Kobo, and she, I guess, tries to figure out what's wrong with it, that leads her to, like, asking Yale, because he's a teacher of some sort, what he knows about sick animals. Very quickly, he's able to discern that she's captured this little Kobo. Once again, he just, like, treats her like a dirt on his shoe, just yelling at her and berate- dressing her down for, like, trying to help this thing. Only coming around when uh, when, when True explains to him, it's like, I, my dad told me you're not a slave anymore, that you can think for yourself, so why don't you help me? <laughs> Burn! <laughs> Which works. Yale, yeah. at that point, just like, I guess you're right. I guess I don't have to tell Devin every single thing I learned now. Yeah, my favorite part of all of this, though, is that she's like, I found a sick animal. I want to help it. I've locked it in this airtight box. <laughs> <laughs> and, and where is it? Well, I'm also sitting on it because yeah. I do not want it to get out. <laughs> Um, they are able to piece together like this literally takes like like it's spread out through the whole episode but it can't be more than two minutes of screen time they're able to piece together that when they were cutting down firewood they cut down the Kobo's nest so it can't hibernate anymore so the whole thing wraps up with them putting the nest back in a tree and the Kobo is happy again yeah see you know what's funny I didn't even get that I just thought I mean I guess there was a bit of dialogue I just didn't listen to I thought it just like left home and couldn't find its way back and like we'll put it back home it's not sick anymore <laughs> no i think we're supposed to because there because there's this whole subplot also about them getting firewood i think the premise is they cut down this guy's tree they're jerks they just they just they just don't they move without thinking they should have thrown a couple of those spiders in that nest just to see what happens <laughs> just for funsies we'll um, just make a time portal all you hear is the coba just screaming in agony it's like like no! it, does, it does he he doesn't feel it. He's fine. Yeah. Put him back in the box. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but yeah, there was this weird subplot where True helps a Kobo who misses home. Wouldn't it be great, though, if in the future we also saw the same Kobo, but it also had a little gray streak in its hair? <laughs> <laughs> that would be pretty good. <laughs> Everybody shows up in the future. Yeah. <laughs> it's riding around on adult True's like shoulder. <laughs> um, but that's it. Like Those are the two episodes. Um, you know... I will not go into more about the time travel stuff. I had a lot of thoughts about where it almost worked and how they let it down, but we'll move past that. Does anyone else have any final notes on these episodes? I mean, I, I'd say um, immediately before watching these two episodes, I plowed through season three of Dark 
if anyone has yes. watched that. So I was needing a bit of a brain break, and this this hit the spot. Hey, that's one thing you can say for Earth 2. It's definitely a brain break. Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> Before we get into ratings, I just wanted to note for Jordan and the listener and Joe, because this also affects you. There are two directors, obviously, on both these episodes. Both of them are continuing drag all-stars. One of them, the guy who directed the second episode, directed Space Above and Beyond. Mm-hmm. I believe he did the uh, uh, Von Chiggy episodes. Oh, yeah, those were good. And then the director of the first episode we watched directed Freaky Links. Oh. It all ties together, Joe. It, it is funny how you start seeing when you watch enough of, the, uh, enough of these things from the same time period that it's just the same kind of writers and directors just bouncing around on these not very good shows. You got to work, man. Yeah. Hey, one thing I want to note, though, you remember that uh, uh, Yuli in the future wanted to convince his mom that he was he was actually Yuli. And he's like, remember on my ninth birthday, I got a sled. What he should have said is, remember my ninth birthday, you just slept the whole time. <laughs> you got a drug. Like, yeah, that sounds like me. Yeah. You, you were addicted to the sleeping pill. And then you put me in a cave with all these monsters. <laughs> but remember on my ninth birthday, that was the, that was just before you became addicted to sleep medicine. <laughs> <laughs> that was the beginning of the end it does actually at the end of that episode grown-up yuli asks old devon just like don't you remember sending me into this cave to hide this like as part of the timeline and old old devon has no recollection of ever doing it and at first i think that i thought there was being like oh it's broken the timeline but then there's just then they're just like oh no devon's just forgetful <laughs> like, that was that was the solution to that I think it's one of the side effects of that sleeping drug. <laughs> it destroyed her brain. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's let's rate these episodes. Uh, so the first one, Brave New Pacifica, or the magic spiders that give you love. Uh, Joe, what do you want to give uh, out of 10 that first episode? Oh, out of sheer craziness, I will give it a 10. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wow. So that spider episode really worked for you. Oh, it, it had everything. <laughs> Just so many logic gaps and time folds and love-hate spiders. And- Ab- absolutely. Uh, I, I kind of agree. It was such a weird episode, but I, I like the Grandler mime work. <laughs> when they started explaining how the spiders and the time portal worked, I was just like, this is crazy. Yeah. It was maybe a li- took a little time to get to the madness, but it was worth it when I got to the madness. So I'm going to give it a, I think I'm going to go 7.5. Wow. I think I watched a different episode. I, I didn't like any of it. Five out of 10. <gasps> <laughs> Very different experiences. You were just missing yeah. those ghoulies. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> Uh, and Joe, what about uh, the boy who would be Terry and King? Uh, well, I, now knowing how we're we're scoring so strictly. Um, <laughs> oh, I mean, this is your personal score. You can do whatever you like. Don't let Jordan bully you. You can get a give it a twelve out of ten if you want. <laughs> well, this one, no, I did not like this as much as the love hate spiders. Mostly just because I I was a bit done with time travel when I got to this. <laughs> very, very much done with time travel and politics and just. Eh, it didn't. It didn't do it for me. Interesting to have all that lore explained, and I am now intrigued by the rest of the show. So I might give that one a six. Fair enough. Fair enough. I, as I was r- rambling on about, there was some core idea I really liked because this show just has no momentum or things of interest for me. So seeing <laughs> the future and like the potential for this, like 
for all this like all these goody two shoes to like wreck the planet like the idea that that was where this was going i was like this might give the show some weight and some interest to me but of course you know they have to hand wave it all away so it kind of took away any impact it might have had i'm still i'm gonna go 6.5 i think it's a yuli episode i hate yuli it can't get more than a three. Three to ten. Ooh. <laughs> wow. Very different experiences around the yeah. board for everyone on this. <laughs> well, I guess that's it for the episode, you guys. Uh, Joe, thank you so much for joining oh, us again. It's great to be back. Thank you. Anytime. <laughs> I'm so glad to hear you enjoyed one of the episodes, at least. That brings me some joy to know that this wasn't a miserable, uh, miserable way to start your new year. No, it was great. I think... You and I were watching those in two very different moods. You're just sitting there smiling away, and I was just, I don't know. There was smoke coming out of my ears. <laughs> well, as I said, this was this was a good palate cleanser after a solid week of very, very depressing German time travel TV. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, well, I see why you gave that second one yeah. uh, a pass. So <laughs> no it makes more. sense to me. <laughs> On, of course, if you have any thoughts on uh, on these episodes, you can email us at continuumdrag at gmail.com. And on Instagram and Twitter, we're going to have some clips from this show. Uh, probably Grendler's fighting, wrestling, time portals. The goblin. Goblin in its, in its nest, I guess. Goblin in its nest. I don't know. Do what do you think? Uh, a kid using a sled for the first time? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I will hope to see All the of these uh, are options. snowshoes. How do they work? <laughs> <laughs> Ben, you can find uh, those clips at uh, Continuum Dregs Instagram and Twitter at Continuum Dregs, that handle. Um, but that's it. Uh, so, listener, thank you for joining us. And Jordan, I'll see you next week. See you then. Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario. Theme music by James Rex Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dulloch and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Humes.